So glad that everybody is here. Kids, so glad that you are in here. This is important for you to sit in big church and learn how your parents worship and what we do in big church. So glad that you're here. Glad all of you are here. My name is Ross, and uh, even if you are a Packers fan, we're glad you're here, okay? Uh, yeah, yeah, Jesus brought together all to, in the first century, it was Jew and Gentile. Uh, in the 21st century, it's Cowboys and Packers and Red says, we're united by Jesus, no matter what the guy on the third row says, okay? Amen. We'll just pray for you that your eyes will be enlightened, okay? That's all. Hey, um, kids, glad you're here. We want you in here. We value you. Um, that packet has a little bit to do with what we're talking about today, but I also wised up and decided I would bring a little incentive with me today. My incentive is in this little basket, and it's not a snake, okay? <laughs> we're not that type of church if you're visiting, okay? Uh, but I got jelly bellies here, Okay? These are for the kids. The packets and the jelly bellies are for the kids. But kids, here's the deal, okay? Um, if you can come up to me after church and tell me something that you learned, something that we talked about or something that we sang about or a scripture that we read, uh, I will give you a jelly belly, possibly two, but no more than two, okay? So that's, uh, that's your incentive there, okay? So listen, no, Doug, you... I have a feeling I'm going to get some emails requesting this every week for the adults. Uh, we'll see. We'll talk about that at our family meeting, okay? Favorite talk. Hey, I was talking to a little guy who uh, is named Tommy. Tommy is about five years old, and I asked Tommy a question that kids get asked a lot, I think. I asked Tommy, I said, hey, Tommy, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? And Tommy said, well, I think I'd like to be uh, three things, actually. Okay, well, you know, that's great. What, what would those three things be? He said, first, I would like to be a race car driver. Yeah. And second, I would like to be a monster scientist. And thirdly, I would like to be a vegetarian. <laughs> and I said, uh, a vegetarian? What, what do you, that's interesting. What do you mean, Tommy? He said, yeah, you know, somebody that goes all around the world and tells people about Jesus. And I said, huh, I think Tommy has been watching too much VeggieTales. <laughs> and somewhere along the way, the wires got crossed. Uh, to go all the way around the world and tell people about Jesus is not to be a vegetarian. It's what we typically call a missionary. And that's great, Tommy, and that's great, kids. If you want to be a monster scientist, if you want to be a race car driver, uh, that's great. If you even want to be a vegetarian, uh, that's your choice. Not my choice, but that's your choice. But what we're trying to emphasize in this four-week series called Holistic Mission is that we all do have a part to play in the mission that God has given us. And we don't all have to go around the world and tell people about Jesus. Some of us just need to begin by going across the street or across the lunchroom or talking to a teammate or talking to a coworker. But we all have a part to play in the mission that God has given us. So for four weeks at the beginning of 2017 here, we wanted to emphasize this idea of mission. And so this is week number two. We'll go two more weeks at this. And our, our hope 
is to this whole year, uh, not that this be just a sermon series, but this actually be a part of our DNA. This not just be a sermon series, but this will be a part of our lifestyle, living in light of the mission that God has given us. At Centennial Church, we say that our mission statement is centering lives on Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do, center lives on Jesus Christ. And there's four kind of strategies that we believe have to be in place to help us do that. One of those is genuine community. We talked about that in 2016 for about four weeks. Another one is authentic worship. Uh, thirdly, biblical teaching. And finally, holistic mission. And so for these four weeks, we're talking about that idea of mission. Mission. And in Matthew 28, there's lots of places where Jesus gives us our mission. There's lots of places in the Gospels and in the New Testament where we can find the mission that God gives us. But the most popular one in most popular form of that comes in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus said this, and it was one of the last things he said to his friends. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, or one translation says, obey all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's what's known as the Great Commission. Go to all the nations. And you can imagine how they felt there as those 11 guys. Go to all the nations? Us? Just this little band of 11 people? And you're thinking, us? Just this little band of Centennial Church? God has given us, Jesus has commissioned us with not a small commission, but a great commission. Not a commission just for professional clergy or priests or pastors or people like that, but a commission for everybody to reach everybody. All the nations, and the Greek word there for nations is ethne. All the ethnicities of the world, all the people groups of the world, all the NFL teams of the world. You guys are slow, or maybe it wasn't time for a joke. But it's a great commission, and it's not just for the missionaries. It's not just for the pastors. It's for every one of us. We say around here a lot, every believer is a minister and a missionary. Your circle may not be the circle that John Bockelman travels in, who just landed back in DFW this morning, by the way. Wendy is here. Good to see you, Wendy. Your circle may not be John Bockelman's circle, but you have a circle, and you have a mission field, and that's what we're talking about uh, in these weeks. And the question that I get asked, the question that comes up most often probably as we go through our membership classes around here at Centennial is, what does holistic mean? Yeah, I've heard missions. I've been in church. I've heard people talk about missions, heard them talk about the Great Commission. But what, what is this idea of holistic mission? What do you mean by that? And essentially, what we're getting at, essentially what we mean by that is the wedding, okay, or the merging of the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, with good works, with doing good, with serving our community, with social justice. So it's both word and deed. To not separate uh, living lives that would bring honor to Jesus with telling people about Jesus. And to understand that emphasis, it might help to uh, explain to you a little bit historically why it's important uh, to emphasize the idea of holistic here. 
And so bear with me here for a little, in, little history. I think it's interesting. But at the beginning of the 20th century, there were a lot of churches, particularly in the United States, that uh, in the beginning of the 1900s uh, began to de-emphasize the Bible and uh, began to, in fact, disbelieve a lot of what Christians have believed for thousands of years and a lot uh, of what the Bible teaches so these mainline churches, uh, many denominations that you've heard of, they began to question those things about the core truths or the core doctrines of Christianity. So things like the virgin birth, really? Did, did, was Jesus really born of a virgin Mary? Is Jesus act, actually God or is he just a man kind of with some special powers? And, it, and is it really true, these are the things that, that the liberal churches of those day and the liberal theology theologians of the day would question, is it really true that Jesus is the only way to salvation? Aren't there other paths to God? So they would begin to disbelieve or at least discount some of these core orthodox teachings that Christians have believed for 2,000 years. But what they did in response to their doubt and their disbelief is not to close the doors to their church. They didn't do that. They kept their church doors open and they kept having church. But what they did is they de-emphasized truth, they de-emphasized doctrine and theology, but they replaced it with an emphasis on service and social justice. And don't mishear me this morning, okay? Service and social justice are important. Feeding the poor, uh, or feeding the hungry, I should say, clothing the poor, doing good deeds in our community, that's important. But the uniqueness that Jesus brought in his ministry was not to serve the poor or to feed the hungry, but to claim that he was the way, the truth, and the life. So these mainline churches and, and many uh, seminaries began to emphasize not the gospel, not the word of God, but the works of God and bringing the kingdom to this earth and, and trying to transform this world. Again, uh, a good thing to do, but not the primary thing that Jesus came to say and to teach uh, about. So what happened historically in the beginning of the 20th century here is that the churches that still believed the Bible, the churches that still wanted to follow Jesus as he had been historically followed, what they did is they reacted to those teachings. And you might even say that they overreacted. So what many evangelical churches and, and conservative churches did was they distanced themselves from social justice or they distanced themselves from work out in the community and they said, no, that's not what we're about. We're about the Bible and we're about Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life and the only answer to the world's problems. We can't make the world a better place. Only Jesus can do that. And I would say with time and with the perspective of history, what they did was they overreacted and they de-emphasized a good thing, and that is service in the community because of the fear of what others were saying that service and social justice is central. So what you have in history and what you have in, the, in uh, kind of the tradition that we inherit through the history of the church is you really have one group, okay, emphasizing something secondary and making it primary or ultimate, and you have another group uh, holding on to what's essential and holding on to what's primary but neglecting and downplaying something that Jesus really actually talked a lot about. And so where we are today is that often in churches there's this divide. And you have those that believe the Bible and you have those that do good. And what we mean by holistic mission 
is that we want to keep the Bible primary. We want to keep the gospel central. But we also want to serve our communities. We want to feed the hungry. We want to bring clean water where people don't have clean water. And we want to, we want to live in light of what Jesus said as well as how Jesus lived. Okay? Holistic mission. You follow me? There's a popular quote out there, and it's uh, usually attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, but the quote goes like this, and there's some debate as to whether he really said this or not, if it was someone else's words, but it's often quoted, preach Christ, if necessary, use words. That's what St. Francis said, and I, I, I like the sentiment of what he's saying. What is he saying, if he said it? He's saying that don't just preach, but live your life in a way that shows people that you believe in God, right? That's a good thing. But the criticism I have of this quote, and if you take it too far, the criticism I have of this quote is, folks, you can't preach Christ by doing good works. Technically. You can pave the way. You can show people what the character of God is like, but no one, get this, no one is going to be saved by looking at your life and seeing how good of a person you are. They just won't. Now, does that mean you shouldn't be a good person? Does that mean you shouldn't do good works? Absolutely not. But the gospel is not seeing how good of people the church is and then joining that club. That's not the gospel. In fact, the, the one guy who is truly good, who had a perfect life, still preached. Who am I talking about? Jesus I mean, if anyone is going to be attracted to someone who had a great, upstanding life, who cared for people and wanted good in the world, I mean, it was Jesus is the model of that. And what did Jesus do? He preached. He not only did things, but he claimed things. And he said, follow me, and who, who doesn't follow me will be left in darkness. So we can't just go out and serve our community. We can't just live upstanding lives and, and expect that people are going to get the gospel. No one looking at Ross Beebe's life or the way I interact with my family is going to conclude, hey, he's a pretty good guy, you know? A lot of preachers are, you know, slimy and slick and all out for money, but that guy's a pretty good guy. I think I'll be a Christian. They're not going to become a Christian, and here's why. Because no one looking at my life could come to the conclusion that, you know what, I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. Jesus Christ came to the earth 2,000 years ago. He died on a cross to take my sin. He was resurrected three days later, and I should trust in him for the salvation of my sins. They're not going to come to that conclusion. There's got to be some words. There's got to be some preaching. There's got to be some verbal explanation for them to come to faith in Jesus. And so what we want to emphasize and what I'm emphasizing in this sermon today is not either or, but both and. There are actually two great things that Jesus gives us in the New Testament. Two greats, if you will. We've been talking about one. It's called the Great Commission. But there's another great thing in the New Testament, and it's also found in Matthew, and it's called the Great Commandment. Does anybody know what the Great Commandment is? How about a first through fifth grader? What's the great commandment? They're busy coloring. This will earn you three jelly bellies. If you can tell me the great commandment. And a hush came over the crowd. I mean, I can, I can wait till 3.30 uh, if we need to. I mean, I got nothing going on until 3.30. Anybody, the great commandment. What adults? 
<laughs> the second is love your neighbor. The first one, the, the great commandment encapsulated Matthew chapter 22, 37 through 39. I think we have this on a slide. They asked Jesus, what is the great commandment? And Jesus answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And what's the second? And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus said the great commandment is, to love God and to love others. And guess what? The great commission, go and make disciples, is not in contradiction to the great commandment. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself does not exclude the gospel and making disciples. And in fact... If you really love your neighbor, well, how should you care for your neighbor? By sharing the gospel with them. That's the ultimate act of loving your neighbor is, is giving them spiritual life, showing them where spiritual life is found. The great, man, the great commandment and the great commission are not opposite things. They are not mutually exclusive. So as we do the great commandment, if we ever are about making disciples or witnessing to people or, or going out and sharing our faith, if we're doing it in a way that contradicts the great commandment to love our neighbors, then we're actually not doing it in the spirit of Jesus, are we? Because those things go together, go together. And I doubt if a street preacher up on a stool yelling at people and calling them names and calling out their sin uh, is exactly uh, congruent with the Savior who said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Our methods have to be congruent with the message and the mandate of love. The great commandment and the great commission, love and make disciples, are not in opposition, are not exclusive to one or the other. We don't divorce the two. We don't ignore one for the cause of the other. We can give one the priority, the gospel, the good news, making disciples. We can give one the priority without neglecting the other. We can make a distinction without making a division. Amen? From the mouth of a, a guy that we will remember and honor tomorrow, listen to these words. Christianity deals with both heaven and earth. Any religion that professes to be concerned with the souls of men and is not concerned with the slums that doom them, the economic conditions that strangle them, and the social conditions that cripple them is a dry-as-dust religion. Martin Luther King Jr. They go together. To love God, to love our neighbors, and to be about making disciples and sharing the word. James 2, chapter 15, our ABF uh, study group on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, they're studying the book of James. James chapter 2, verse 15, this is the way uh, it says it there. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And I think what he means there in the translation, dead, I think what he means there is it's useless. You may have faith, 
But if you don't exercise that faith in word as well as in deed, your faith is, is useless. It's worthless. And Jesus himself, who claimed to be the divine son of God, Jesus himself, one of my favorite verses, Matthew 5, 16, he says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Jesus said, let your life shine. Be about good deeds. Serve one another. Serve the community so that they might see your deeds, not in a self-righteous way, but they might see your deeds and they might come to faith in the Father. Paul's going to say the same thing in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? They have to hear. They have to hear the good news. And they also need to see it. They also need to see us serving them. The model for missions, I believe, is John 1.14. Turn with me to John 1.14. As Jesus entered our world, Christmas Day, right? As Jesus entered our world, John 1.14 says this. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as, the on, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What is this passage telling us? It's saying, I think, that we need the Word. The Word here is Jesus. If you go back up to verse 1 of chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to talk about how Jesus, the Word, was creating things, and that nothing was made that has been made except through Jesus. Jesus is the Word, and the Word has become flesh. But what this passage is saying is that we need the Word we need the message. We don't just need deeds, but we need the word. But how did Jesus bring the word to us? In the flesh. What does that mean? It means that Jesus became human. It means that a perfectly holy God, spirit in heaven, took on flesh, became human to show us the word. To show us the glory of the Father, it goes on to say in John chapter 1. And that's critical. Because people need the word, but they also need to see the word lived out in front of their lives. And that's what those first followers got to see. The word, the message, lived out before their lives. And folks, as we go to work tomorrow, as you go to school on Tuesday, I guess, uh, as you go to school, what our friends need is the word, and they need that word fleshed out for them in human, in human bodies. The word and deeds together. The people saw Jesus' life, and, and they were attracted to him because he had this combination of truth and grace. That's the other... Uh, if you go back to John chapter 114, that's the characteristics it gives of Jesus' mission. That his mission was grace and truth. Was it grace? Was it truth? Was it only truth without grace? Was it only grace without truth? No, it was grace and truth. Jesus merged these things together. He unified these things together. He wed them together in his life 
and message. Our world needs the word, and they need us to live out the word, but they'll never come to faith in Christ if they don't have the word. Amen? So how do we do this? At Centennial, holistic mission, here's here's what we want to be about. We want to be about the both and. We want to hold the word as central, as primary, as the priority, but we don't want to do it to the neglect of serving those in need. So many of you will know that at the end of 2016, we started a new ministry here at Centennial Church to kind of help us in this endeavor. It's called CC Cares. And in fact, our team is meeting today after church over in the office building. If you want to be on this team, if you want to help with these projects, our goal is every four to six weeks to do something tangible, physical within our neighborhoods, within our community to express the character and the love and the compassion of Jesus. So we've done things around our community. Many of you will know that we sent a trip to Haiti. And I love what happened in Haiti for, with, with our uh, mission trip because not only did they build a house, okay? You guys raised $6,000 to build a house. But I loved how uh, those that went on the trip, they told me as they were building the house, the group that we partnered with, the seminary down there in Port-au-Prince, they were also helping build the house. And you know what they were doing as they were building the house? Sharing the gospel with the neighbors, with friends around. And people came to faith that week, not because they saw a new house go up, but because they heard the gospel. But they heard the gospel in the context of flesh, in the context of love evidenced by building a home for people in need. That is a beautiful example of what we want to be about. In fact, our whole missions emphasis, I think, is done beautifully in Haiti because it, 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 it encapsulates this emphasis of the both and. We, we support every month, we have three partnerships in Haiti that we support, that we send regular uh, funding to, and one of those is the seminary that is training pastors and teachers and leaders in Haiti. The other thing that we support is the House of Hope, which is a, a medical facility for kids, many of them abandoned, that gives them food and clothing, that raises them in a very real sense, many of them. So you've got men being prepared for the word ministry, and you've got the house of hope loving tangibly, practically on kids that are neglected. And then we also, thirdly, partner with a pastor who also plants churches in the northwestern part of Haiti. So we're helping plant church, we're helping equip leaders, and we're also meeting tangible needs in addition to going occasionally ourselves and building a home. I love that emphasis. I love that balance. I love that triad of leadership development, church planting, and meeting physical, tangible needs. You guys met physical, tangible needs uh, here at the beginning of the year when we said that uh, homeless in Dallas need blankets. And Adzel put out a, a, a code blue and said, bring as many blankets. And we filled three cars full of blankets that you and our Kids World Preschool brought to help, tangibly help those in need. Do we want to share the gospel with them? Absolutely. But we can't share the gospel with people and not care about their physical, tangible needs. Now, with one of you this week who told me a great story and a great illustration about a uh, small group you were in a, uh, a part of at a previous time in a previous church, 
And the, the small group had uh, some, one member of the small group had a neighbor whose house was dilapidated. He had had health problems and it needed some pain and needed just some, some loving touch, some TLC. And so this small group decided in that neighborhood to go and knock on that guy's door. And they said, what kind of paint, what color paint do you want on your house? And he said, why? Because we're going to go out and buy paint and we're going to paint your house. And he said, why? So we just want to. So he came back the next day with the paint that he wanted. They painted the house. They did some small repairs around the guy's home. And the guy comes out of his home weeping and says, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? To which the group said, because we love you and we love Jesus. And this is what Jesus would do. Isn't that beautiful? Love in action. The gospel spoken and the gospel seen. It's illustrated most beautifully not in blankets or not in Haiti or not in fixing a dilapidated house. It's, beautiful. it's illustrated and evidenced most perfectly in Jesus who came to this earth as the word made flesh. And what did he do? Just preach? No. Well, he preached, but he healed people. And he laid his hands on lepers. And he gave sight to the blind. Why did he give sight to the blind? Oh, well, that's, he, he healed them. He gave sight to the blind so they would believe in him. They did believe in him, didn't they? Many of them. But I would submit to you this morning, Jesus didn't just heal the blind because he wanted them to believe in him. Jesus healed the blind because that's who he is. Jesus ministered to the poor and the hurting because that's who he is. And he loves people. And he wants with compassion to meet their needs, not just to get their faith, but because they are image bearers of God who need compassion, who deserve compassion, and who need touch. Jesus came in grace and truth. Jesus came in the flesh to be heard and to be seen. And he said, go and do likewise. So kids, so parents, here's the application. The application today is the, similar as it was last week. And that is, in the words of Tommy, be a vegetarian. Be a vegetarian. Go around the world, go across the street, go across the lunchroom. And share Jesus with people. And the strategy that we're offering you to try to do this this year is a simple three-prong approach. Prayer, care, and share. So here's your application, okay? Begin to pray for your neighbors, for your coworkers, for your friends at school, for the people uh, in your class, for the people that you have a book club with, for the people that uh, live down the street from you, for people in your family, for the person that cuts your hair every month and just begin to pray for them. I said last week, Romans 10, 1, Paul prays this wonderful prayer, Romans 10, 1, he says this, my heart's desire and prayer for them is that they might be saved. He had a heart of compassion, he had a heart that people might be saved. And he didn't just have a heart for them, but he prayed for them. I want to challenge you right now. There's some cards back at the Connection Center where we're asking you to 
put down names of one special family. Kids, put down names of one special uh, classmate or someone on your team that you want to begin to pray for. And begin praying for them. See what God does in your heart. Maybe it's even someone you don't get along with. And begin to pray for them. See what God does in your heart and see what God does in their heart. Someone has said, talk to, pe- talk to God about people before you talk to people about God. You catch that? Talk to God about people before you talk to people about God. Begin with prayer. Secondly, care. Show up. Take them a meal. Invite them over. Go to coffee with them. Just do something to show love, to show compassion, to show, to show interest. Don't just forward an email that says, you know, forward this on to 10 people or you'll burn in hell. Okay? That's not the approach we're talking about. We're talking about real, physical, tangible care, compassion. They're sick. You take them a meal. You ask them how things are going. You ask them how their kids are doing. You ask them about their hopes, their dreams, their fears, but you pray for them, you care for them, and you share with them. And you don't share with them just to get a notch in your belt, but you share with them because God loves them, Jesus died for them, and we ought to care about them. They're not projects. They're image bearers of God that he has called us to reach out to. Prayer, care, and share. Will you do this? And let me challenge you with this. Kids, adults, will you do it? I mean, you're going to leave here. You're going to walk out of here. You might go to lunch. You might watch a football game this afternoon. But you'll probably forget about this. Maybe. But here's what I want you to do. Before your head hits the pillow tonight, okay, maybe it's when you get in the car on the way out of here today, I want you to have a conversation with your spouse. I want you to have a conversation with your parents or with the friend that you came or just call someone on the phone and say, this is who God's put on my heart. This is who I'm going to pray for in 2017. This is who I'm going to care for, and this is who I'm looking for an opportunity to share the gospel with. So this is your accountability. Before your head hits the pillow tonight, God, who are you placing on my heart? And just be honest, are you really going to do this? And if you're not going to do it, just say that out loud. You know, I'm not going to do it this year. Maybe 2018, okay? And let me know and I'll pray for you, okay? God doesn't want us to sit along Coit Road and wait for people to leave another church and come into our church. He didn't tell the world to go to church. He told the church to go to the world. And we say that a lot. And I want to pray that we do that. We can't control the fruit. We can't control the success of that. But what we can do is be faithful to do it. And sometimes we just need a little spur. Sometimes we just need a kick in the pants. Sometimes we need to learn how to do it. There's a legend. Um, This is not in the Bible, so... um, I'm going to step away from the Bible for a second. But there's a legend uh, that when Jesus ascended, when he went up to heaven after he had died on the cross, after he, after he had resurrected, that he had this conversation with the angel Gabriel, okay? And Gabriel, the angel, saw the wounds in Jesus' hands. Kids, uh, most theologians say that though Jesus is in a resurrected body for eternity, we're going to look and see the scars in Jesus' hands. It's going to be a reminder of how much he loves us. 
So he's healed, but there's still marks. There's still scars on Jesus' hands from the love that he showed for you and me and for our neighbors and friends. So Gabriel sees the, the, what the cruel cross that has done to Jesus and the marks that he has. And the angel Gabriel goes to Jesus and said, Master, you must have suffered terribly from men down there. I did, Jesus said. Gabriel continued, do they all know now how much you love them and what you did for them? And Jesus says, oh no, not yet. Right now only a handful of people in Palestine know. Gabriel is perplexed and he said, then what have you done? What have you done to let everyone know that, uh, about your love for them? Jesus said, I've asked Peter, James, and John and a few more friends to tell other people about me. Those who are told will in, t- will in turn tell other people about me, and my story will be spread through the farthest reaches of the globe. Ultimately, all of mankind will have heard about my life and what I've done. Gabriel frowned and looked rather skeptical. He knew well that what poor stuff men were made of, and he said, yes, but what if Peter and James and John grow weary and tired? What if the people who come after them forget? What if way down in the 21st century, people just don't tell others about you? Haven't you made any other plans? And Jesus answered, I haven't made any other plans. I'm counting on them. Jesus can appear to people in a dream in the Middle East, in persecuted places, and I believe he's doing it daily, a lot. But plan A is this poor, wretched guy and you poor, wretched people. Go into all the world and make disciples. That is our mission. Father God, we, uh, we have so much. We're so busy. And so often we just... Um, forget about what's truly important. We uh, soothe ourselves with the things of this world. We um, get blinded. And so, Lord, I just pray for my own heart this morning. I pray for every heart here that the gospel would change our hearts. The gospel would motivate us out of our seats and into our communities. It would make us people that grab people's attention but it would also give us courage to speak the words. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. So Holy Spirit, change our hearts. Give us compassion for the lost and lonely, for the hungry and the hurting, for the people across the globe and the people across the street. We pray these things in the name of the perfect missionary, the one who didn't just uh, risk his life, but the one who gave his life in service of the glory of God. Lord, fill us up with Jesus and send us out of here as his ambassadors. In his name we pray. Amen.